Welcome to the Unleash Your Inner Bold podcast. Get ready to learn new ways to think differently about growth, leadership, and your brain. I'm your host, Barbara Gustafson. Let's get started. I came across this really cool quote by Dean Coots, and he said that some people think only intellect counts, knowing how to solve problems, knowing how to get by, knowing how to identify an advantage and seize it. But the functions of intellect are insufficient without courage, love, friendship, compassion, and empathy. I absolutely love this as it invites that authentic human side of us, including emotions. And today's topic is emotional intelligence. It's become quite a buzz phrase. It's been around a long time and growing in business and leadership. It's also one that I'm not quite sure we fully grasp. It's a cool sounding idea and there's amazing books on it, but I thought it would be valuable to my listeners to bring in an expert who uses emotional intelligence as the core of her work. And I had the opportunity of meeting our guests virtually in a community of brain health coaches at the beginning of the pandemic. And right away, my ears perked up as I realized she was helping her clients get better results by tying in emotional intelligence techniques. So my hope for listeners today is by the end of this, you'll get a better sense of what emotional intelligence really is and why it's vital to anything you do. So as you listen, I want you to think of a situation right now in your life that you can apply these concepts she shares. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest before I bring her in. As an emotional intelligence expert, Carrie Bowen is a consultant and speaker to healthcare and educational leaders, as well as executives and entrepreneurs. And through her simple strategies, the leaders and entrepreneurs she works with learn to direct their thoughts, words, actions, so they have more effective communication, brand trust, and that employee client retention. And she has an extensive career in neurofocused physical therapy, brain health coaching, and life coaching, including personal experience of overcoming her own depression, abuse, and stress. And her signature programs are Conquer Mental COVID, which I love the title, Take Five to Focus, and Get Your Mind Right, which are designed to rewire your neural networks for positive, powerful thoughts, words, and actions. Carrie, I'm so excited you said yes to this interview. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am so blessed to be able to share this with you. Like you said, when we met virtually in our brain health coach group, we really had great interaction. And I thank you so much for having me on here. Absolutely. And I've been watching you from afar on social media this past year and seeing you educate and providing valuable resources to people just to help them during COVID. Before we dive in, though, tell us where you're located. Uh, and then if you can give us more of a personal background of your story and what led you to the work you're doing today. I am located in Charleston, South Carolina. We are consistently the number one city in the country. We're just very blessed with beautiful places and beautiful people here, very nice Southern atmosphere. And emotional intelligence for me was really brought to light because of a loved one who had brain trauma. 
I didn't realize that is what I was going to be studying. I was really studying literal brain health for post-concussion syndrome and uh, concussion education. And then it turned into emotional intelligence when I realized that we all cannot walk around with a sticker on our chest stating, I have ADHD or I have PTSD. So when we interact with each other through the day, the only variable we can control is ourselves. And the best way to do that is through emotional intelligence, being very aware of our thoughts, our words and our actions and the effect they have on other people. And that is the key part of it. It's one thing to be aware of your thoughts, your words and your actions. I had to become very aware of mine. I felt like what I said or what I did, you know, everybody around me should just be okay with it. But then when you realize your thoughts, your words, your actions, the impact they have on others, that's when emotional intelligence, your EI or EQ level really rises because you understand the things that you say, the words that you use, the actions that you take do have an impact on others, whether you see it immediately or later, or maybe you don't see it at all. Maybe that person just observes it. So that is how I got into emotional intelligence. Uh, initially, I started out as the brain health coach talking about concussion, but I, the emotional intelligence piece has become so personal for me because I've had to work so hard on it and still do it's not a one and done. I've had to work on it myself and the programs that I created were the methods that I used on myself first. And then I started sharing them with others and, and realized how, how helpful they were for all of us. Yes. And I really like how you, um, let's go back to what you shared, you know, as far as the labels, because that is such an easy thing to do. And as you and I both know how the brain works, you know, the, the brain loves to make, you know, sense of things. And sometimes the brain does put labels and meanings on different things. Um, and without intention, we often label ourselves, we label others, and that really limits our ability to really stretch and grow. It keeps them, you know, in the box per se. And I love how emotional intelligence is meant to help us increase our awareness about ourselves and around other people versus limiting them. Yeah, so can you give us an example? Cause you've shared given a good definition of emotional intelligence. So for someone who has maybe heard about it, maybe in a leadership class or in a meeting, can you define it in terms of um, perhaps how they can utilize it in their work? In their, from a professional perspective, emotional intelligence would be the things that you say to your employees or your higher ups, the people above you, your actions throughout the day, your body language, your tone of voice that you use with each other or clients on the phone, and your actions such as do you follow through with what you say you're going to do? Are your actions consistent with your words? 
in a professional setting, if you put that all together, that is typically what makes a great leader is knowing how to communicate appropriately with the right words and then follow through with the corresponding actions because that builds trust with your subordinates, with your employees. It builds trust with your clients and it, it will show your leadership and anyone above you that you are reliable, dependable, and a thoughtful leader. Yeah. Do you have any examples of maybe some of the people that you've worked with or your own personal experience of how that came into play? I did have a client a few years ago. Um, this, this was probably one of my first early, early clients, but she was consistently, she had been with a company for 10 years and she was consistently reprimanded by how she spoke to clients on the phone. And these were long-term clients signing up for um, software that someone was implementing into their company. And it was her job to onboard them and then be the customer service. She was consistently reprimanded by her lack of clarity. However, this person, very nice person, very, any of us that would meet her on the street would just love her. When we got down to the root of it, she had forgotten because she had been with the company for so long and had gotten to know the software herself inside and out. She got so comfortable with it that she was forgetting to look at it from a new person's perspective, someone with no idea what to do with technology, someone with no idea what the outcome was actually going to be and where the processes and the steps they were taking. She just felt like they should jump in and know. So when we had her look from the new person's perspective, the, um, the new person that had never touched the software before, maybe didn't even know a lot about computers, um, where a lot of her, her clients, she said, oh my goodness, I've been acting like they know, they should know what to do. And just by listening to the words that she was using with her new clients and the frustrations that she had with her clients, I thought she's kind of lost the other person's perspective. She's not taking their perspective into account. And it was just like a light bulb came on for her. And she went back to her, um, she had to report to her superiors every two weeks, I think it was. And within a few weeks, she was getting rave reviews, reviews again. They were happy and they were asking her to work with other onboarding staff to train them in the same way. And she was happier doing her job. She was not so stressed out. So that's emotional intelligence doesn't just help the other people. It helps you as well because it, it just, for lack of it, it just makes life easier and more, well, not stress-free, but the, the level of stress is more in your control because it's according to your responses and your thoughts, words, and actions, how much emotional energy you give, you give something. 
And so that's one one example, but I'll use something myself because I said I, I've used these programs on myself. <laughs> so I work in physical therapy and I'll give a, a, a more recent example. I work in home health physical therapy where we go out to homes of anybody, of any uh, socioeconomic class, if Medicare assign and a doctor assigns us, we, we go there. Right now, a lot of the doctors are wanting virtual visits to limit people coming into the office. So we try to help our patient in any way, shape or form. And a physician's office contacted me and said, will you help this family with the virtual visit? They said they can't accomplish it and we need to see this person. I said, sure, but I'm, I'm fairly certain they don't have Wi-Fi in their home. I know they don't have cell phone service out there. They're very far out in the country. So I contacted the wife and she confirmed. She said, I understand their concern. However, we just don't have good Wi-Fi out here. We don't have cell service. You know that. She says, yes. So I made sure the nurse was aware that I'm going to try this, but it just may not happen. Sure enough, I get to the patient's home and the doctor's trying to do a virtual visit and I ended up calling into the office to a very short-tempered physician that was upset because the virtual visit was not working and all we had was the home phone. That's all we had available to us. I, he made it very clear to me who he was and how he expected a virtual visit and I had to take a deep breath, my take five to focus. <laughs> I took a deep breath before I responded. And I had to look at it from his perspective, even though he was not being very polite and I could tell my patient's feelings were hurt and he was embarrassed because he did not have Wi-Fi, and he did not have cell phone service. So now the patient is feeling bad I, and we're on speakerphone so everybody can hear. I said, um, doctor, I am so sorry the virtual visit is not working out. However, there is absolutely nothing that we could do for technology out here where the patient lives. The patient does feel very sorry that he does not have Wi-Fi and the cell phone service is non-existent out here. However, we have the home phone and right now this is the best we can do. And then the visit went from there and he, he the, the physician calmed down and you know he spoke to his patient about what was necessary. And uh, at, after we hung up, the patient expressed to me that he was, you know, it made him feel embarrassed that he didn't have Wi-Fi, but it's not, it's not his fault. There's no Wi-Fi out there. The companies do not put Wi-Fi out where he lives. There's nothing he could do. So that was an instance where probably about 10 years ago, I would have told the physician, listen, <laughs> I would have been very strong with the physician. And because it used to be that I would get so protective of my patients that I would um, be very short tempered. I would say things that I really didn't mean they would get my point across, but they were not emotionally intelligent. 
they weren't belligerent or insulting, but they weren't the right words to use to be effective in the situation. So that was a, I, I felt good. And I called the physician's office after I got back out to some cell phone service and, and touched base with them again and made sure everything was okay and gave them a true update of their, their patient's status and, and everything was fine. So that ended well, whereas probably, tw- I'd say 12 years ago, I would have been very short-tempered and maybe the physician may not have sent us another patient. So those are two big examples in my professional life that uh, I've implemented emotional intelligence strategies and it's, it's made a world of difference. And what is interesting about both of these examples, if you think about the individuals, even though the doctor, you know, was not pleased, there had to have been a willingness on their part. And there also needed to be this space to pause, like you call it the five to focus, Mm -hmm. there needs to be this pause for us to really get curious, you know, to recognize, first of all, what's happening in this situation. And then a decision to shift that conversation, you know, how is it I'm choosing to respond in that moment instead of going right into that reaction, which I'll take, you know, I'll be the first to admit, sometimes it's very tempting just to react to people. Um, So there has to be a level of willingness just because I've heard of people going to trainings with emotional intelligence and them saying, well, I tried it and it doesn't work. And there's part of me that wonders, are they open and willing to really explore or even get curious? Are they wanting that instant result? So how would you start someone off if they're wanting to be open or take a look at maybe stepping back or um, or even admitting there's blind spots that they have? How would you walk someone through getting started with improving their emotional intelligence? The first step is definitely to say, I want to make a change. I have spoken to so many audiences where, yes, the people raise their hand and they say, "Uh, this is how I am and everybody can just deal with it. (laughs) And I say, because of course I'm up on stage, everybody's looking at me like, what's she going to say? I said, I understand how they feel because I felt that way at one time. I understand how you feel. However, you have to be willing to accept the responses and the reactions of others if your interactions are not as emotionally intelligent. Meaning, if you insult somebody intentionally and they respond with frustration or defensiveness and and it makes you upset, you have to sit with that because you're saying, I'm not willing to change how I think and what I say and what I do. I'm not willing. So the first step is to acknowledge that you want a change. And typically people want change when they start feeling anxious, they have depression or they have stress. And mine was stress that stress and anxiety were probably my two biggest issues that I had. I'm like, I have to make a change somewhere. What, what am I doing or what can I control? And 
So ask yourself that question. What am I doing in these situations? What can I control? But you can't, you don't have control of anybody else in the room. You can't control your spouse. You can try. Doesn't work so well. Nope. You can't control your children. <laughs> you try to, an, to, to a certain extent. I'm a mom. But you, you on it when it comes down to it, you cannot control other people or other situations. I've tried a million different ways. And the more I try to control it, the more it gets out of control. You are the only variable that you can control. So what am I doing to improve or not improve this situation? What, what am I doing? What, and it's, that is a really hard question because a lot of us would rather not look at our own flaws. Um, we would like to just kind of put it out there. It's the world's fault or it's their fault or it's their, and, but when it comes down to it, we are the only variable. So ask your, yourself that question. What is my role in this situation? And am I willing to change? Am I willing to make a difference? I do want to say right up front, I do not encourage emotional intelligence to make us a doormat. That is another response I get at some of my talks is, well, now, are, you, are we just supposed to be doormats and people can walk all over us because we hold back on what we really want to say? No. Emotional intelligence does not make you a doormat. Emotional intelligence improves your ability to communicate in extremely tense situations. Whether or not the other person understands if you've tried your best, it's, that's not on you. You've done your best. And when you are in an uncomfortable space, there are many emotionally intelligent responses that you can use to set boundaries so that you're not a doormat. And that is, that is very important. Emotional intelligence does not make you a, a doormat. It improves your ability to communicate effectively. Mm. And for my listeners, I encourage you to hit the rewind button and listen to that portion of it. I wrote down some powerful things. And one of the phrases that you keep mentioning is you are the only variable that you can control. Yes. And we are. And just by being willing, you know, to change, we're going to get curious and ask the right questions. Um, I'm so glad you brought up the doormat piece. I was having a conversation uh, with someone the other day ab about this subject, and it's so timely just because I can think of times where I have been someone who enables in a relationship and has been in a doormat. That is very different than emotional intelligence very right. very different but for me it was an opportunity to see okay why isn't this working and what else can i be doing and almost always it came back to creating healthy boundaries it's a boundary that i did not establish it wasn't their fault but i was the one that modeled and taught them to treat me that way so i'm excited yeah. you brought that up just because that's a conversation that does come up um when I'm coaching others. So 
this podcast is really about stepping boldly, stretching and growing. It's about learning, but it's more about getting uncomfortable and putting things into practice and, and recognizing that we get to define whatever boldness means to us personally. So Carrie, how do you define boldness for yourself? Boldness for me is being able to speak my mind with emotional intelligence and stretch to get success in personal and professional life. Somehow I used to think you could only be good in one or the other, but when you implement strength, courage, and emotional intelligence all together, that kind of encompasses boldness to me because without the emotional intelligence piece, you're, I've, I have a bull in a China shop vision, <laughs> boldness. Like, but when you, when I have the EI piece in there, that is being bold as I'm back to your boundaries. Example, honestly, I, I was a doormat for a long time. And again, it's just like you said, you used, uh, I taught people how to treat me and I accepted their treatment. But then when I implemented my boundaries and with emotional intelligence, I was not a doormat anymore. And, but I did it with respect for the other, the other person, but I protected myself in the meantime, which was was great. And that is bold. That is bold. That is boldness to be able to say, I'm protecting my mental, physical, and emotional health so that I can be successful in my personal and professional life. Mm, I love how you put that. So I'm going to share a word that keeps coming up as you're talking, and that's the word empathy. And for those who have a strong empathy gene, or for those who don't, can you describe or share how empathy ties into emotional intelligence? Empathy is being able to understand someone else's perspective or situation, even though you have not personally experienced it. It's different from sympathy in that sympathy, you kind of feel sorry for someone I'm sorry that happened. I don't, empathy is the biggest, the biggest thing I can think of empathy. When I was in physical therapy school, what, 25 years ago, we actually had a course. It wasn't called emotional intelligence. It should have been, but it was a brief course on empathy. And our instructor said, when you are working in the hospital setting, and you have a patient that has just had a leg amputated and you walk in to talk with this person, do not sit on the bed where their leg would have been. You've never had a limb removed, but that person had just had a limb removed and to them that leg is still there. So if you walk in that door and you say, I'm your therapist, I'm gonna make you better, I'm going to help you walk again, and then you sit down right where their leg would have been, you have completely disregarded the fact 
that they have lost a part of themselves by sitting where their leg had been. And that hit me so hard. So empathy in that situation is I, I have never had one of my limbs removed. I've never had an amputation. So I don't know what that person is experiencing. However, when I walk into that patient's room or even their home now, I have an understanding that they are still grieving from the loss of that limb and I need to be aware of that. So that, that is empathy. Sympathy was, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry that you uh, lost your leg. I'm so sorry that you lost your you know, foot. Empathy is just being aware the entire time that this person is experiencing grief, pain, physical and emotional, the loss of a limb. So that is, that is my best example of empathy because it almost has a, a, a visual Im imagery to it. Um, we've all seen someone who is walking with an artificial limb or maybe doesn't have an artificial limb to walk on, you know, they're wheelchair bound. So we, we can understand what that looks like. And that's probably one of the best examples I've ever heard. Um, so thank you for describing that. And I'm thinking in terms of, even if we're leading a team and one of our, um, employees has gone through something really difficult. We may not have gone through that, but we can have some level of understanding without walking in their shoes so that they feel heard and they un right. feel understood a little bit more. So how do you take care of yourself as a leader? Cause you're doing a lot on the front line. You know, you're taking care of your family. How do you take care of yourself? I have the uh, morning routine and the evening routine that I have used, well, ever since I started brain health coaching, I have a morning routine. I get up and have my 20 ounces of water, warm water. I exercise, meditate, journal, I read a book. And I don't spend a ton of time on every single one, but that pretty much prepares me for the day. And then at night before I go to bed, I definitely turn off my technology and I read or I journal to kind of end the day and, and wind down to relax. And I definitely take walks on our beach or walks on our Ravenel Bridge, things, exercise, things to get me outside and, and get me moving. Yeah, I love how you bookend your days just because that really does impact what's in between during the day. And so tell us what projects you're working on and where people can connect with you. Right now, I am really heavy into my Conquer Mental COVID program, which for obvious reasons, <laughs> um, even though we are this, well, it's, we're coming up on the one year mark of COVID. Yes. Um, when everything started to shut down. In the healthcare field, we are constantly, and educators, um, I'm going to speak in April to uh, South Carolina educators. So uh, healthcare workers and our educators, we are, we are constantly, it feels like we're in this agility ladder, like do this one day, do this the next day, don't do this this day. We're constantly bouncing back and forth, learning new things because COVID is so, 
new and it's not going away anytime soon in entirety. Um, Hopefully we can get control of it, um, but it's not going away in its entirety anytime soon. And the healthcare professionals understand that and it makes us weary. So I have really pushed my Conquer Mental COVID program, getting out into healthcare organizations, speaking to healthcare leaders, you know, virtually, not so much in person yet, but really get reaching out on LinkedIn. Um, I love LinkedIn. I'm actually starting a healthcare leadership group on LinkedIn. I, I love LinkedIn. So if you find me on LinkedIn, I'll be starting a group for healthcare leaders on there. And also Clubhouse. I know this is, um, this podcast is going to be evergreen. So 20 years from now, people will say Clubhouse, what in the world? But a lot of healthcare professionals are jumping on Clubhouse because it's so easy for us to get on there. And so we're holding virtual rounds. We're talking about burnout profession, uh, prevention, burnout treatment, just so many different things, even COVID. I was on a a clubhouse uh, room about CDC recommendations in COVID last week with a lot of physicians and nurses. So if you can um, find me on LinkedIn, that's probably my evergreen, easiest way to find me where I'll have my group and we can dive into emotional intelligence in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Carrie, this has been so much fun. Thank you for joining us. So listeners, think of one new awareness that you had from this episode today while Carrie was talking. Maybe it was an aha moment or a situation that comes to your mind that you can apply something that you learned. And then I want you to think, what are you going to do with that new awareness? Again, it's great to learn something, but if you do nothing with it, not only you, but those that are around you are going to miss out on growth opportunities. So if you enjoyed this episode, we'd be grateful if you give us a review so others listening can read your comments and grow with us. And if you're needing encouragement, join my closed Facebook group community, Unleash Your Inner Bold. Thank you for joining us today. I invite you to listen to other podcasts with really cool guests like Carrie who generously share their wisdom with us. Be well, everyone.